When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. I am Michael Beller. It is Tuesday, October 19th. Tuesday? You know what that means on this show. Beat Writer Day. Checking in with three of our beat writers across the league. Let's get started with uh, let's get started with a big boy. Let's get started with a big team here, a team that we love in the fantasy football world, Kansas City Chiefs, and their beat writer here at the Athletic, Nate Taylor. Nate, thanks for joining us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Ah, yes, Michael. It's uh, it's great to join you. Uh, and look, even though the Chiefs are three and three, I hope it they've helped fantasy teams have uh, have a better record than what they've shown so far through six <laughs> games. Oh, they definitely have with uh, what these guys bring to the table offensively every single week. We're going to talk about the defense in a little bit, but that offense uh, still humming along as far as fantasy managers are concerned. I want to ask you first about someone who is new to the offense from a fantasy perspective right now, and it's Daryl Williams. And Daryl Williams taking over as the primary running back in week six with Clyde Edwards-Alaire out. Had 21 carries for 62 yards, scored two touchdowns, which we love to see. Mm -hmm. Three catches for 27 yards was clearly the lead guy with with CEH out. Let's start first with while CEH is still out. Can we expect Daryl Williams to retain this monster role and Jarek McKinnon really being a guy who just mixes in here and there? Yes, I, I think that is the case. Um, this is the first time in Daryl Williams' career, right? We're going into year four. Um, and despite his average per attempt not being great, uh, as you mentioned, Michael, he was super effective in short yardage and red zone. So if you need first downs, if you need touchdowns, Darrell Williams has been somebody who's been consistent with a limited role. So it'll be fascinating, at least for the next two games, right? The Chiefs will play the Tennessee Titans, and then they'll have the New York Giants on Monday Night Football uh, before Clyde Edwards-Alaire is eligible to return from the short-term uh, injured reserve list. Uh, for these next two games, uh, I think the Chiefs will uh, get a real feel for what Darrell Williams is capable of. And I think for fantasy owners... Um, this may be great in the short and the long term because it'll force the Chiefs, I think, to be a two running back sort of system. Um, but if you need someone to score you touchdowns and you know mm -hmm. a team is going to be in the red zone, um, Darrell Williams is someone that you should consider on your fantasy lineup just because he's going to get opportunities because this offense is so dynamic. And unless Tyreek Hill <laughs> takes away... Uh, scoring opportunities on a long pass, uh, Daryl Williams is going to have plenty of opportunities in the red zone. All right, you hinted at where I want to go to next. Clyde Edwards-Alaire going to miss the next two games. Is there a realistic scenario in which he comes back, and he's coming back to a split backfield because Daryl Williams just plays that well over these next couple of weeks? I think there's definitely a possibility, Michael, because um, Clyde Edwards-Alaire had struggled um, not just in short yardage situations, but he really hasn't been as consistent as the Chiefs would have liked. Uh, he's fumbled the ball twice. Uh, those two turnovers were costly and two Chiefs losses this season. And so Andy Reid is, is very um, consistent 
when a guy comes back from injury to to ease them along, not to give them uh, the workhorse sort of load that you would usually see from a guy that hasn't dealt with an injury this season. So I assume when Clyde Edwards-Alaire does come back, whether that is against the Packers uh, in early November or if it's later in the season, that Daryl Williams is still going to be uh, incorporated quite often in this offense and that they'll ease Clyde Edwards-Alaire back into the system. And then from there, we'll see how it goes with the two-back tandem. That, I think, was something that they showed in their win against the Philadelphia Eagles where you could say, hey, one of these two running backs is going to get over 100 yards. One of them is probably going to get a touchdown or more. Um, but for now, I think this is Daryl Williams' job to sort of take the reins of and sort of thrive in. And then whenever Edwards-Alaire comes back along, Will that be a more, you know, balanced backfield with those two players? Back in the summer, you and I talked when Chiefs training camp was just getting started, and we said, from a fantasy perspective, we kind of know what this team is. Uh, Pat Mahomes does his thing, Tyreek Hill does his thing, Travis Kelsey does his thing, and the rest of the guys fill in around them. And that's mostly played to script for the first third of the season. McCole Hardman is the one guy who still feels like he can maybe punch through. He had the 12 targets a couple of weeks ago, and then last week back down to five targets. Is there ever going to be a six targets week in, week out role for him in this offense? Oh, such a good question. And you know what makes this worse, Michael? Uh, The presence of Josh Gordon. Uh, (laughs) The Chiefs at some point are going to get Josh Gordon, I think, more snaps. So it'll take uh, some, you know, opportunities away from either McCole Hardman or Byron Pringle or Demarcus Robinson. But I thought the most um, positive thing from McCole Hardman this past week against Washington was he caught a deep pass, Michael. I mean, they, you know, for someone who's known as a speedster, the Chiefs have mostly used McCall as this, you know, jet sweep, quick misdirection sort of player in the backfield. Um, at least last week against Washington, he did have an actual highlight where he caught a pass for 49 yards. So that's the one hope if he is in your lineup that there will be a play where Mahomes will manipulate the defense and find a one-on-one matchup with McCall Hartman down the field. Um, but I think McCall has a chance to continue to mature and, and sort of have a bigger role, not necessarily a, a, a large role or a bigger role, I should say, but it'll be fascinating again over these next few weeks. How much does McCall sort of stay consistent or slightly get better in terms of production or does Josh Gordon sort of cut into that because the Chiefs are so desperately wanting to get him incorporated in the offense more given his size, given his speed and obviously his experience. Something we certainly will be watching over these next couple of weeks. Something we're always watching is this Kansas City defense did step up a bit in the win over Washington, but it's been you know kind of a train wreck all season long. 29 points allowed to the Browns in week one, 36 to the Ravens, 30 to the Chargers, 30 to the Eagles, 38 to the Bills. Last week, one week anomaly, good matchup, or can this defense not be a patsy for us to be picking on all season? I'm so glad that you went over every score <laughs> before <laughs> before before last week's game. Um, it's it's still an anomaly until the trend actually becomes a trend in the positive direction. You know, one games are nice. Uh, it did sort of salvage the Chiefs overall season because they're three and three, and as we can see, the AFC is a is a jumbled mess there in the in the standings. But from a fantasy perspective, I would give Chiefs fans a little bit of I would give fans, both Chiefs and fantasy owners, um, there is some level of optimism because it seems like the Chiefs are, A, getting a little healthier on defense. We assume Chris Jones will come back into the fold. Frank Clark has played two straight games. Um, And 
the coaching staff, it took them five weeks, but Michael, I think they've played the best 11 guys. Juan Thornhill replaced Daniel Sorison. The biggest thing is, I think from a fantasy standpoint, you want turnovers, and it, it took them it took them a few games, but they got some turnovers against Washington. Um, I want to see it a little bit more. Can you give me another week or two uh, before <laughs> you may trust the Chiefs in a fantasy sort of perspective? But at least what they showed last week is, hey, is Tyler Heineke one of the best quarterbacks in the league? No. So if they find a favorable matchup and you need somebody in a certain week, uh, at least they might be an option as the season goes along because that defense is actually having a lot of younger players who are getting more experience. So maybe they get better as the season goes along. And if they stay healthy, um, there's a chance for them to be at least opportunistic in creating turnovers. All right, well, the, fav- the matchup in Week 7 is not favorable. Chiefs and Titans getting together in what uh, I think we should all be expecting to be a high-scoring game between these two teams. What are your early expectations for this matchup with the Titans in Week 7? You, you know, Michael, it's it's so funny you asked me this because I was on the phone with my, with my father last night, uh, who was a lifelong Chiefs fan. Uh, he watched the game on Monday Night Football. Uh, we get on the phone, and he says, well... I don't think the Chiefs can tackle Derrick Henry, and I don't think <laughs> the Titan, and I don't think the Titans can cover anybody on the Chiefs' offense. So uh, it's a fantasy owner's dream. Um, I, I think you know Travis Kelsey has been dealing with some some nagging injuries. I, I think that needs to be sort of acknowledged here. Uh, Andy Reid mentioned that he had played with sort of a stinger, a sore neck in Washington. Still had 99 receiving yards, which is just wild. Um, but his production may take a little bit of a dip because he's starting to feel the wear and tear of the NFL season. Uh, if Tyreek Hill catches the ball, um, he's going to continue to be excellent. The, the, the one issue is he's had a few drops. That's led to a few interceptions, which obviously uh, prevents scoring opportunities for a fantasy owner. And as we talked about before, Darrell Williams, uh, I just feel like this offense, when it doesn't turn the ball over, is one of the more prolific, perhaps in the last decade, which is... Yeah. Weird to say because they're three and three. <laughs> like they are not world beaters um, just yet. But that offense, when it performs well, uh, they can really get things going. So it's a bit. Of, it's going to be a big challenge for Tennessee. But I think it'll be a back and forth game. And I, I imagine that you know from a betting standpoint, you should probably take the over. Uh, <laughs> and from a fantasy standpoint, if there's somebody uh, that you have on either team, the Chiefs or the Titans offense, uh, I would highly advise you to to use them in your starting lineup oh yeah we don't really think about anyone on either side of this game right I mean it's pretty much auto play for any of these guys against any uh, opponent but this should be one where all these guys come through for us as well should be one of the more fun fantasy games on the slate in week seven that's Nate Taylor Kansas City Chiefs beat writer here at the athletic Nate thanks again for being with us on the fantasy football pod awesome to be here thanks for having me Next up on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, we head over to the Baltimore Ravens to check in with our Ravens beat writer, Jeff Zrebic. Jeff, thanks for joining us on the Fantasy Football Pod. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, I want to start out in this backfield, one of the more confounding (laughs) backfields in the NFL and certainly for fantasy managers. I mean, all you got to do really is look back at week six and we saw Latavius Murray nine carries 44 yards and a touchdown he got injured later in that game Devontae Freeman nine for 53 and a touchdown Le'Veon Bell eight for 18 and a touchdown Tyson Williams the early season sensation has been deactivated a couple of weeks Uh, with Latavius's injury in mind how do we project this backfield coming together going forward yeah it's uh kind of a fantasy uh nightmare and even you know even on Sunday I I think they all I think 
one played 23 snaps and the other played 22 snaps. So it, it's as uh, even as a timeshare as you can get. We'll see about Latavius Murray. It, you know, they were hopeful it wasn't a high ankle. Um, they were hopeful it was more just a, a lower to mid ankle sprain, which certainly shouldn't keep him out for too long, but it's still a little bit early in the week. Um, you know, he's the lead guy, but the lead guy's all relative when it comes to the Ravens because the lead guy is, is, is not you know, getting a ton of touches. So um, I, I do think Tyson Williams, and I know a lot of people are discarding him, and I get it. You know, you have two two healthy scratches in three weeks. I think he's in their plans. I, I think he's part of it. Um, but it's clear they want him running with a little more authority, and they want him doing the little things. And he put the ball on the ground twice. And that's a, that's a lot of stuff that a veteran head coach is not going to be too fond of. So... Um, you know, at this point, you know, it's going to be mix and match every week. And, and then the other layer of this is, uh, you know, Le'Veon Bell's out of free practice squad call up. So they're going to have to put him on the 53 man at some point, or if they don't feel like he's the answer. And look, I haven't seen a whole lot of juice there. I'm sure other people have picked up on that too. Uh, his touchdown this week was pretty much a walk-in that you or I could probably got in there on. So, um, you know, so we'll see what they decide to him. And then they got a young guy like Nate McCrary, who they liked in training camp, who's on the practice squad. So it wouldn't surprise me if he's going to get a shot at some point. So it's a nightmare for fantasy owners. Um, you know, I think with Latavius down, Tyson will get back in the picture and you know I think Freeman looked like he had the most juice this past week so if you're looking for a guy for this week Freeman kind of stands out uh, a little over the other options but as far as a long-term option I don't know if he's that guy for you yeah it's probably not going to be an answer uh, from anyone in this backfield long term but we are in the bye week portion of the season and six Mm -hmm. teams on bye this week so definitely could be someone who you want to have in their lineup for just one week someone who maybe we're a little bit more excited for is Rashad Bateman made his uh, season debut his NFL debut in week six and numbers certainly don't jump off the page four catches for 29 yards but the six targets that led the uh, team there was a tie for the team lead he played 65% of the snaps so you like to see that in your first game what are your expectations for Rashad Bateman and how he fits into this offense for the remainder of the season yeah I think his role will keep growing you know I think we were all surprised and even John Harbaugh admitted earlier this week that he was surprised to see him play 45 snaps uh you know Greg Roman had mentioned earlier in the week that they were going to kind of ease him in and 45 snaps really wasn't easing him in um, you know, this is the Ravens receivers uh, we're talking about, so I think it's always uh, best to proceed with caution. Um, but it's clear they really like this kid, and they believe he'll he'll help them down the stretch. I think his his impact in the passing game will only grow. They already have confidence in him. You saw his, all four catches were for first downs, and a couple of them were on you know third downs where Lamar Jackson had no problem targeting uh, you know the rookie in his NFL debut. Uh, I don't think he'll be a big numbers guy this year, um, just because you still have Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews. But uh, I do think week by week his role will grow a little more, and there will be some weeks where he has pretty big weeks. Mark Andrews totally locked in as to his role in the offense. Is there a Bateman effect on Marquise Brown? He's been someone that we've been able to rely on most weeks so far in the fantasy world. I think so. Um, And I also think there's part of the, you know, you have the shiny new toy, this first round pick who so many people had talked about who looked, 
you know, pretty legit uh, in the offseason, and then he gets hurt pretty early in training camp. So I think you want to use him. You want to send a message to other teams that you trust him, that he's going to be a factor. Uh, so, they're, you know, uh, I think they'll try to get him the ball early. But, um, you know, it. look, it, there's only one ball to go around. I think Devin Duvernay is still factoring a little bit. Not huge targets, but he's still a factor. Uh, Mark Andrews obviously gets a lot. So, yeah, I think it'll impact Marquise Brown a little bit. Uh, but I don't see him falling off the map. You know, we saw again this Sunday, um, you know, we saw Marquise Brown should have had a touchdown and, and his line looks a little different. He dropped another touchdown pass. So uh, his fantasy numbers would be really good if he'd hold on. I mean, he's left three three or four touchdowns on the field. Uh, but no, I, I don't think his numbers will fall off the map, but I think it's it's natural that adding another pass catcher that they want to get the ball to will impact that. And look, we, we don't even have Sammy Watkins back, and I don't think he's going to be a huge fantasy factor, but uh, you know, he was four or five catches every week when he was healthy. So uh, I, I think Sammy Watkins is probably a couple weeks away still after the bye. But, you know, all these guys, you know, the Ravens actually having some legitimate uh, wide receiver options. It, it's going to impact Marquise Brown in a little way. Back in the summer, you and I talked about this idea of the Ravens, you know, getting Lamar under center a little more, having him do traditional mm -hmm. dropbacks a little more, just throwing the ball a little bit more. We've now seen about one third of this 2021 season. How would you grade out those changes at this point? Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't they haven't been under center as much as they kind of alluded to, which, you know, kind of tells you that that was Greg Roman wanting to put that out there to give mm -hmm. something, you know, teams something else to prepare for. But as far as their passing, I think they've absolutely answered the bell and responded to all that talk about you need to be more dangerous down the field. I mean, uh, he didn't have a big day passing this past week. And we saw, you know, Brandon Staley basically take away the deep stuff. I mean, they really didn't want the Ravens connecting on any of that deep stuff to Marquise Brown. And, uh, you know, Lamar played kind of a disciplined game. He had one bad throw. The other interception was more on Bateman. But, um, you know, he took what they gave him. But otherwise, before that, they were leading the, you know, he was leading all quarterbacks in yards per attempt, you know, pat, yards in the air, what he was throwing. They were taking shots, creating big plays. It, it had become a big play passing game. And, I'll be honest with you, Michael, I didn't figure that they would be that quick, you know, in, in morphing into that. I, I, I thought it was kind of going to be a work in progress and we'd see some signs. And by season's end, maybe they were, you know, the more dynamic passing team that we thought they would be. But, um, you know, I'd say they've uh, over delivered so far uh, with the passing game downfield. And, you know, we'll see what defenses present to them uh, this past week was too easy in terms of Chargers just can't stop the run. So they didn't give them any reason to do anything else. Uh, but I think teams like the Bengals, who they play, and other teams, uh, you know, you'll see them have to create more plays down the field in passing game. The Ravens have shown so far that they're capable of that, and I don't know that they were in past years. Yeah, let's talk about that matchup here against the Bengals in Week 7. Big game in the AFC North, 5-1 and one Ravens, 4-2 and two Bengals. What are your early expectations for that one? Yeah, I mean, uh, I thought the Bengals would be better this year, but they're better than I thought they would be even. Um, and their defense is is, is really improved. Um, you know, I think it's going to be one of those close games, one of those tough AFC North games. Um, you know, probably come down to the end. That's kind of been the Ravens' specialty before the Chargers game this past mm -hmm. week with the late drama. Um, you know, but... The Ravens have just, you know, I think, I think they've basically outscored in the Zach... 
Taylor era, I think they've basically outscored the Bengals like 137 to 36 or something so ridiculous. The Bengals have had no answers for the Ravens defense. Lamar Jackson has been able to do whatever he wants against the Bengals defense. We know this is a different Bengals team. You know, we've, we've seen it, uh, uh, but I think this is a big game for them to prove it. Um, you know, and look, if the Ravens are as sharp as they were defensively, I think this is their game to win. Um, but, uh, you know, they have a big challenge coming in and, uh, the Bengals are going to make them plays. And I think we'll, I think we'll learn more about the Bengals this week than we will about the Ravens. Yeah, that's probably true, but shaping up to be one of the more fun games on the slate, especially with uh, three huge double-digit spreads that we have on the board. Bengals and Ravens should provide us with at least some drama on Week 7. That's Jeff, Jeff Srebik, our Baltimore Ravens beat writer at The Athletic. Jeff, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, last beat writer we check in with on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast is Josh Kendall. Josh, our Atlanta Falcons beat writer at The Athletic. Thanks for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Thanks for having me, Michael. Yeah, let's jump right into this team coming out of their bye. Uh, last time we saw them, they were over in London getting a win over the New York Jets. And now they've had two weeks off before they take the field this week against the Dolphins. Would you expect to see anything new from the offense coming out of the bye? No, I would just expect to see more of what they've done, which frankly is not super fantasy football friendly. I mean, I think my PSA today would be to be wary of Falcons under Arthur Smith because ideally he's not going to have a horse in this offense, ideally in his own head. So what I would expect them to try to do is to kind of continue spreading the ball around. Uh, Calvin Ridley is back um, and, and shouldn't have any residual effect from his absence last week in London. But I don't know that that means that he's a go-to fantasy guy because I just I, I just don't know how much he's going to push the ball to anybody in this offense. Yeah, that's actually someone who I wanted to get into with uh, a little bit more focus, Calvin Ridley, because he was someone who was being taken across the board as a top five receiver. Maybe you took him as the third overall receiver, the fifth overall receiver, but pretty much every single fantasy draft saw Calvin Ridley taken as a top five receiver. And the volume's been there for him this season. Eight targets in week one, 10 in week two, 11 in week three, 13 in week four, then he missed the week five game against the Jets in London. But that is, I mean, that is as good as a fantasy manager can hope for out of a receiver in terms of volume. The bottom line production hasn't been there. Is there an explanation for that beyond just, you know, football strange and sometimes it doesn't translate? I think there are probably a couple of different explanations along the way. This offense in the first two games was really disjointed and didn't click. Falcons fans were very um, frustrated by Arthur Smith's decision not to play many, if any, of his starters in the preseason because of basically the first two games of this offense looked like preseason football. They just didn't click. Then we had, had a nice stretch there in the middle. Then uh, week four, he just was not, you know, himself. He, he dropped a couple of balls that he normally catches. Falcons ended up getting some PIs on that, but that doesn't help managers, I know. So he just dropped a few balls. Then he misses last week. Like I say, I don't expect him to have any residual impact from that, but, you know, he, he needs to secure the football it, like anybody else. 
biggest surprise in the fantasy world this year, I think without question, has been not only the involvement of Cordero Patterson in the Atlanta offense, but what he has done with that role. There is, uh, you know, you can't just explain this away. You can't hand wave it. He has been very good with the opportunities that he has earned in Atlanta's offense, uh, doing some out of the backfield, doing some as a traditional receiver. Do we expect the same sort of breakdown in the backfield between him and Mike Davis for the rest of the season? I do. I don't see any reason to think that Cordero Patterson is going to lose touches based on the way he's played, based on the way that Mike Davis has played, which has been fine, but not great. I think Mike Davis still is this team's starting running back and still will get most of the carries. Arthur Smith believes in his pass blocking, believes in his ball security, believes in all those things that he really values that are not really valuable necessarily in fantasy football. But Patterson is has been the most versatile player maybe in the NFL. I don't think his versatility, his his success as a quote-unquote running back shouldn't be a surprise. He's a big, strong, fast guy. He's always been that. I think he's finally found an offense where he fits maybe better than he has anywhere else in the past. And they're definitely getting the most out of him again. And that dual threat running back receiver really doing it all for this team and been a huge, huge surprise in the fantasy world. Someone who we've been waiting for and finally saw uh, in a big way in week five was Kyle Pitts. The opportunities were there. We knew a dude with his skills, with his ability, was going to eventually break through, and he did that against the Jets back in Week 5. Do you think we ultimately look back on that as the breakout week for Kyle Pitts and that he stays at this level, or expecting more ebbs and flows as the season goes along? I expect ebbs and flows that don't necessarily have to do with Kyle Pitts. I expect people to pay defenses to pay a lot of attention to Kyle Pitts, and I expect Matt Ryan to respond to that by taking different throws. Matt Ryan is just never going to be a guy who is going to force a ball. He is, I mean, if you give Matt Ryan the check down 45 times on a Sunday, he's just going to take the check down 45 times. And that makes Atlanta fans pull their hair out sometimes, but Arthur Smith loves it. So I think that defenses are going to pay a ton of attention to Kyle, and I don't think he's going to have that kind of volume. I do think he's an excellent player. I do think he's worth having because he is going to, he is good enough that he's still going to make plays. And speaking of, you know, Calvin Ridley's problems, you know, hanging on to the ball, Kyle Pitts' hands are maybe already some of the best in the NFL. He's just a guy that you can throw the ball into tight windows, and he almost always comes down with it. All right, week seven, this team gets back on the field against the Dolphins, actually as road favorites in Miami. What are your early expectations for that matchup? The Dolphins are a mess. Uh, the Falcons, it, it all depends on how how good the Falcons feel about themselves coming off of a bye. They were happy to have that bye, even though they had a little bit of momentum coming off of that London win. They're happy to have Calvin Ridley back, not just Calvin Ridley, but Russell Gage, their number two wide receiver, who's just been kind of okay, but he is their second best wide receiver talent-wise. I think that the Atlanta offense should be good. I think that the Dolphins are a mess. Dean P's defense you know, is just going to kind of be okay and hold on. But I could see them creating some turnovers against uh, Tua Tungavailoa and, and a Miami offense that just does not have any sync. I can see some sacks. I can see some tackles for loss there. Offensively, I mean, I, I would just hate to predict, predict who is going to be the guy who is going to excel. But I do think this is a spot where Atlanta should be expected to win. 
Yeah, and fantasy managers certainly happy to get back uh, Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, to lesser extents, maybe Cordell Patterson and Mike Davis and Matt Ryan as well in this week's of a matchup with the Dolphins. That's Josh Kendall, Atlanta Falcons beat writer here at The Athletic. Josh, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Thank you all. All right, we are done with beat writers on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. One more thing to talk about, and that is the clear waiver picture. Brandon Funston joining me to discuss that. Funston, it feels like we do this every day now. We get together and talk about waivers for 10 <laughs> minutes. How you doing? We do do it, and uh, one thing about it that uh, is an oxymoron is the clear waiver picture, because <laughs> there's nothing clear about it. I have no Windex for this week's waiver group. Uh, <laughs> it's a little bit of a tricky landscape this week. Yeah, it is a little bit of a tricky landscape, and it goes back to what you and I said, what, almost 48 hours ago when we first were looking at the Week 7 waiver wire. There really isn't a go-out-and-get-him-you-gotta-have-him sort of player on this week's waiver wire. Doesn't mean there aren't guys worth chasing, but... I don't think anyone's going to be heartbroken if they get shut out of the Week 7 waiver wire. If there is a player, I guess there sort of has to be by default, a player who you are going after first and foremost, regardless of position, who is that guy? Well, obviously waiting to see what the Nick Chubb news is for Thursday night. But Dearness Johnson, just if if he is a number one running back, he's going to be a number one running back for one of the most run-heavy teams in the league, a guy who last year... You know, in his one, he had a spot or two, and he and he mm-hmm. showed showed out pretty well. Look, I'm I've already started to wade through the pool because this is a, you know, I got plenty of fantasy teams. It's a six week bye week, and I have a whole lot of Dallas and uh, you know Dallas and Minnesota and Buffalo types that I'm going to have to move out of my lineup in Jacksonville types. I mean, yeah. So uh, Austin Dernis Johnson would be a godsend for me this week in, in a couple of leagues, honestly, if Nick Chubb's not playing. I'd, I'd, to plug in somebody that might get you 15 to 20 carries for one of the best running teams in the league. Yeah, that's worth something. I, you know, it's a, it's going to be a fleeting it's going to be a fleeting moment for Dearness Johnson, but um, you know, it's, the value of that is probably something pushing close to double digits in fab money. Yeah, that that's exactly where I was going to go with this. So let's just in, in a world where Dearness Johnson is the starter, like there, he's gonna be he's gonna be considered a top twenty running back this week if Nick Chubb is out. We know Kareem Hunt is out for three weeks. If Nick Chubb's also out, Dearness Johnson is going to be considered a top twenty running back for the week. Now, of course, the person who claims him could be someone who isn't dealing with these bye week situations and doesn't necessarily need to start him. But I would say most people who go after Dearness Johnson with him as the starter for Cleveland are going to want to start him this week. Let's say it's just a one-week thing. Like, what sort of value do you put on that? You're going into it knowing Dearness Johnson is going to get this start this week, and by the time next week rolls around, Nick Chubb's going to be back, and Dearness Johnson is going to be gone. He's going to be a total afterthought in Cleveland's offense. How much is that worth to you in terms of fab? Yeah, I think, like I said, I think it's pushing pushing 10 bucks at this point. I mean, there, we are we, we're assuming that most people have gone through the waiver process for Devontae Booker, for, you know, all these guys. Damian Williams, Chuba, Chuba Hubbard. Hubbard, all yeah. these guys. So you're down to, you know, you're down to a pretty low likely likelihood uh, of wallet cash there <laughs> in your fab. So um, this might, you know, this might warrant somewhere in the 6 to $10 range and if you're desperate enough, you're going to have to push the upper limit of that. And that may not be enough. Like I said, I might be willing to do that in one league where I have a good team. I don't, it's kind of, a, I think it's a three and three or a four and two team. And I don't want to let the season slip away 
I want to be able to, you know, get through this bye week because next week is a two-team bye week. Right. Things get a lot easier. There's no other six-team bye week. So if you can get through this one, uh, it should be smoother sailing. You just got to get there. And the other thing with the Ernest Johnson is that Nick Chubb's not going to come back and be a 30 carry back. And this is a team that likes to carry 30, 33 times a game. You know, Dearness Johnson might be like 66% of the Kareem Hunt workload or 50% of the Kareem Hunt workload. He's going to have some potential usability in a backup role to Nick Chubb until Kareem Hunt's back. Yeah, Hunt out for at least three weeks with that calf injury. So something with something to think about with Dearness Johnson, even when Nick Chubb does come back. Uh, I would say the back who next best satisfies immediate need at the position, if you are just like, I need a guy for one week, I've got uh, Dalvin Cook and Austin Eckler, and I start them every week, and they're both hot. I just need one guy for one week, and I'm cool just knowing that he's a one-week guy. I think it's probably Mark Ingram. Funston, 14-plus uh, rushing attempts in four of Houston's six games this season. He got that last week. I think we have to assume that he's that brand of player for this team. It's a super low ceiling. It is a floor of like 2.7 points. But if you need a warm body to plug in at running back this week, I would be going for Ingram before I was going for some of the more long-term options like Ramondre Stevenson or Rashad Penny. Yeah, I yeah, I mean they weren't they weren't really hanging around in that game last week, and, and Ingram was still able to get to volume. So I mean, we've now seen him in blowouts and in games that were somewhat competitive actually be able to get to volume. He's had a couple low low games where it just just didn't work out. But if you're going to bank on one of these guys in that backfield, it's by far and away Mark Ingram. Um, I thought maybe David Johnson was making a move. Yeah, no, not 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 happening. It's still it's still firmly Mark Ingram as their their main ball carrier, and you know, uh, like you said, it's probably you know you could probably feel good about twelve plus carries most weeks. So yeah. We had Jeff Zrebic on earlier on this uh, episode, and we talked to him about the backfield. He expects a world in which Latavius Murray isn't available, Devontae Freeman to be as much a lead back as we're going to see from the Ravens. What's he worth to you in the fab market this weekend? Uh, it might be worth a little bit more than Mark Ingram, just because there will likely be not a ton, but a little bit of volume in in the passing game maybe a couple two three catches might be afforded him but um but baltimore is going to live in the red zone they're one of the best teams at getting the ball into the red zone and you know it kind of elevates the touchdown upside for freeman uh, although it could be Le'Veon bell it could be tyson williams but uh you know jeff follows him more closely than i do and he's calling devonta freeman the number one guy and that's kind of what we were speculating on earlier in the week yeah, did say that he would also expect Tyson to be um, active once again if Latavius Murray has to miss this week. But uh, it definitely is looking like a situation where if you're chasing someone, you're chasing Freeman. But we know there's not going to be any clarity in that backfield. And let's also remember that last week was a pretty perfect storm for them. A game that they got up early where they were able to feed all of their backs. And the Chargers have really struggled against the run this season. So... It's Dearness Johnson as the top guy, and then we start to think about the other backs on the radar as well. And speaking of that, Ramondre Stevenson, Rashad Penny, Jared Patterson with uh, this sort of Antonio Gibson shin issue lingering around. Any of those guys you want to make a case for this week? Um, I, you know, I would be interested in, in Penny um, because... I think if Chris Carson's injury ends up being more than the standard three-week IR, which I think there's a decent possibility of that, if Penny can come back and and just look like he's healthy and look like he's close to what he once was, I think 
there is not him needing to outplay Alex Collins to get a role, I think there's a decent chance that they would run those guys in almost a straight split. Alex Collins is a between the tackles guy, but they always love Penny. It's a difference to make a difference to Chris Chris Carson in that Penny can get to the outside, get to the corner quickly, and I think they'd be willing to do more of a straight combo platoon with Alex Collins if Penny shows well in his return. Two receivers who are very clearly at the top of this list, T.Y. Hilton and Rashad Bateman. Who are you more interested in among those two guys? Uh, T.Y. Hilton came back and looked like he hadn't really been out. You know, looked like you know, four catches, 80 yards, looked good. Um, and I think Carson Wentz is looking better and better each week. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean T.Y. Hilton there. Uh, you know, it's it's our colleague Jake Seeley has talked about it. It's like as, as good as Bateman is. He's the number three option in that passing game uh, for a team that you just can't bank on the passing game week in and week out. It's been more bankable this year than in the past for sure. But, um, you know, being the number three guy where there's some volatility there, it can be a little bit tricky. If you're position agnostic, are you going after either of those receivers ahead of the running backs we discussed? Um. Yeah, if I'm if I'm not playing because I'm in a in a tough spot for week six and I'm position agnostic, I might, you know, consider T. Y. Hilton the more viable long term play. And honestly, I, I do like Ramondre Stevenson from the long term view. I, yeah. I really do. Damian Harris hasn't been an Iron Man, and even if he does stay healthy, if if there's going to be two backs in that mix ultimately, right. and Stevenson's kind of positioning himself as that back, and he's actually getting run in the passing game, which is crazy. So. Um, for the long for the long haul, I actually like Ramondre Stevenson maybe more than anybody we're talking about here. Yeah, as Jake pointed out in his waiver column that's available on the site today, uh, he played ten passing play snaps, ran eight routes, and there was basically nothing in the passing game for either Damian Harris or Brandon Bolden. On those eight routes, he had three catches on three targets for thirty nine yards, and so maybe he's playing his way into that sort of hybrid six carries, four targets kind of role for this team. And again, it's not pretty. It's not someone who you're going to want to start in that role every single week, but he can fill in in the buys and definitely seems like the next man up in a situation where Damian Harris were to get hurt. So definitely someone also to take a look at this week. We're going to bypass some of the higher uh, owned um, ride receivers just because we don't have a ton of time to talk about them. But uh, suffice to say, A.J. Green, he should be on your radar if he's available in your league. McCole Hardman, he should be on your radar if he's available. Jamison Crowder, all guys like that. Make sure, just take a look, see where they are, see if they're available in your league. One thing I do want to get in Funston is a quarterback question. We don't typically talk about that here, but we don't just have six teams on by. We've got six teams that contribute locked-in, rock-solid, no-doubt-about-it quarterback starters. We're talking Josh mm-hmm. Allen, Dak Prescott, Justin Herbert. Trevor Lawrence, all Kirk Cousins, all five of those guys taking a seat this week. If you are quarterback, uh, if you need someone, if you start one of those guys, you don't have a backup, who are you looking to stream? Uh, I think in the same game, there's two quarterbacks that are fairly widely available that I'm interested in. And in fact, I've already got claims in on both of them. Uh, and that's Matt Ryan and, and Tua Tungavailoa playing against each other in Miami this week. Um, uh, you know, Tua threw for 300 plus yards. His last game, his first game back, a couple touchdowns. Matt Ryan's been getting better after a couple ugly first weeks. This offense starting to click, and maybe you know Calvin Ridley gets back into the equation. Um, I think outside of that, I'd I'd be interested in Derek Carr, um, and he's at home against Philadelphia. There's been some some decent quarterbacks production against Philadelphia, so those are three that would be at the top of my list. 
Yeah, I think those are three, probably at the top of everyone's list among the widely available players. And wouldn't it be surprised to see Dolphins-Falcons be a sneaky game, sneaky high-scoring game? It was something we talked about with Josh Kendall earlier in the episode, our Falcons beat writers. So maybe something to look at if you are someone who is just looking for a one-week starter in place of one of those quarterbacks that we just named. That's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Our thanks to the beat writers who joined us today, Jeff Zerebic, Josh Kendall, and Nate Taylor. Uh, for Brandon Funston, I am Michael Beller. The show returns on Wednesday. We've got a full slate of athletic fantasy football podcasts for you all week. So be sure that you are subscribed to us. And if you want to get in the door at The Athletic for 50% off, you've got just a couple more days to do that. Theathletic.com slash fantasy football pod will do that for you. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you all soon. Thank you.